about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Hello everybody. I'll be reading from the Bible, from this piece of paper. So if you want to follow along, have a look at that. We'll turn to page 787 in the normal print Bible. Here we go. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. I've got the clicker, so all good. I'm in control of the slides now. Hello, everyone. My name is James. I'm one of the student ministers here at Newtown Erskineville. And just a quick update on me. Some of you know that uh, Viv, Henry, and I, we've been part of this church for a bit over a year now. And we just moved in down the road on Queen Street, so we're here. It's a world of difference walking two minutes from my home to the library than last year, which you know, it took about an hour and a half to come out of my home and get to the library. So it's a world of difference. Uh, but in the last year as well, I've also been able to participate in a food ministry that we do here at NIAC. And so I've just put some photos up. We took some photos on a Thursday. Here's a typical Thursday, although sometimes you know, it rains and we have to go inside the building at Urkel. But this is a wonderful ministry that this church has been doing for a number of years, partnering with local food distributors and distributing it for anyone who wants to come along. And so just wanted to share that food ministry is happening, it's going well, and uh, we have a steady number of people who come uh, pretty regularly, actually. And, um, well, I'll put it this way, there's, there's something incredibly encouraging and heartwarming about seeing the faces of some of the people who come along just light up when they go, yeah, wow, all this is free? I, I get to take this? It really is just a way in which we seek to show the love of Christ with others as well. Well, let's now get to this passage. I'm going to pray, and let's get into the Lord's Prayer. Please join with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that we can be here today. We ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would bring us understanding of your word and transformation to put it into practice. 
In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, today we do come to the most famous prayer in the Bible, the Lord's Prayer. You know, I didn't grow up with Christian parents, and so growing up, one of the main ways I found out about the Lord's Prayer was through TV shows and movies. And so you've probably seen an example of this, where someone thinks they're about to die, and so they sort of close their eyes or put their hand on their chest, and they start reciting, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Or another example is in a... T- um, I remember watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and in the TV show, there's a character that's about to die because vampire is about to kill him, and he starts warding him off, you know, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, it's almost like the, the hand movement from Doctor Strange. But the point is that he's uh, chanting, citing, praying the Lord's Prayer to try and ward off this evil creature, but by far the most memorable example for me was from the 2002 Spider-Man film with Tobey Maguire. All right? Now, Aunt May is uh, praying before she goes to bed, and then all of a sudden, the green goblin smashes through the room, and he's got you know, his devilishly yellow eyes, and he's going, finish it, finish it, and she's going, deliver us from evil. And then she faints, and, you know, as a young boy, that left an impression on me. (laughs) The Lord's Prayer, it's it's out there. A lot of people know about it, right? And here at Newtown Erskineville, we pray it quite often. We we say it and pray it together. But today, this evening, I want to ask us this question, why pray the Lord's Prayer? I mean, why recite these words? A friend of mine said, a number of years ago, isn't it just a Roman Catholic thing to, to recite it? Or another way you might think about it is, well, surely if we want to pray to God, surely we should pray heartfelt, sincere, genuine prayers, you know, something I wrote myself, rather than something that I'm just reciting. Or another way you might think about it is to say, well, surely this prayer, it's not relevant for us anymore. This is for people who were there before the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is a prayer for them, not for us now on this side of the death and resurrection. Well, this evening, what I want to do is I want to walk us through this passage and show us three reasons, three reasons why we pray the Lord's Prayer. What I hope you see is that from these three reasons, this is more than just a Roman Catholic thing. This is a Christian thing. And Christians have rightly prayed the Lord's Prayer for thousands of years, as we do today. And so would you come with me now as we turn to reason one, the first reason why we pray the Lord's Prayer. It teaches us how to pray to our Father. If you follow along in the passage in verse 9, Jesus says, this then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. This, this here, Jesus is saying this is how you should pray. For those for whom God is your Father, these words are how you should pray. Now, I just want to walk through each of these lines of the Lord's Prayer, not in a lot of depth, but just enough so that we're clear on what these requests mean. And so come with me then. Verse 9, we see the first request of God in the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name. Meaning, for God's name to be honored, respected, treated with, with reverence. Because God is glorious His name is to be glorified as well. In other words, this is a prayer for God to be rightly recognized for who he is, for reality to to be reality. This is how the Lord's Prayer begins in its first request. 
The second and third requests are in verse 10. You see it there, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a prayer that God's authority and rule would be recognized on earth. Not that God's authority and rule would be established on earth. No, no, no. That is established already, especially in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Rather, this is a prayer that people would visibly recognize and submit to the king of the kingdom. In particular, it's, it's, a, it's a prayer that God's people would submit to God's rule and enjoy God's rest here on earth. In other words, it's a prayer for God to make all things right. Because you see, the great problem of our world, as was alluded to in our prayer in just a few minutes ago, is that this world is broken. Things not living in subjection to the king of the world. This is a prayer that God would make all things right here. His kingdom come, his will be done. The fourth request is there in verse 11. Give us today our daily bread. This is a prayer that God's people would trust the God of time and bread for bread at all times. To be satisfied and and to, to be provided for. The God who is in control of the whole earth is the God who can provide as well. For just as the people of Israel depended on God daily for their bread as they wandered in the wilderness after the exodus, we must recognize that God is the one who can give, which is a corrective to those of us who would seek to take for ourselves. Our daily existence is dependent on the sustenance of God. The fifth request is in verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is a prayer for God to forgive what is lacking in us, in in you and in me. For when we are examined and checked and judged, the truth is none of us hallow God's name as he deserves. None of us will recognize and submit to his rule and authority as we rightly should. In other words, all of us sin, living lives our own way. And and the, the debt that we incur because of that is an infinite punishment. This is a prayer for God's good, pleasing, perfect, truth-filled, and beautiful will to show us mercy because we need it and for him to wipe our debts away. Well, finally, the sixth and seventh requests are found in verse 13. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, or deliver us from evil, depending on your translation. For while we live in this world where the kingdom has not been fully revealed yet, has not fully come yet, we are surrounded by evil and temptations to sin, to do evil, to perpetuate evil. This is a prayer that asks God to keep us from temptations, to rescue us, deliver us, save us from entering into it. Isn't this just a wonderful prayer? Rich, isn't it? Filled with with deep 
and weighty things. These words are Godward-oriented, shaped by the priorities and concerns and values of our Heavenly Father. Which makes so much sense, given Jesus' rebuke in verses 5 and 6 at the start of the passage. Because you see, in verses 5 and 6, Jesus rebukes the Jews who would pray, not so that God would hear them, but so that others would hear them. In other words, Jesus rebukes prayer that seeks the audience of the many rather than the audience of the one who matters most. Instead, verse 6, Jesus says that, that his disciples are to pray to their Father, their Heavenly Father, who is unseen, to deliberately, thoughtfully, carefully, and reverently pray to him. Now, let's be clear here. Jesus isn't saying that prayer must always be private. Remember, the Lord's Prayer has plural pronouns, isn't it, right? Our Father in heaven, give us today our daily bread. No, he's not saying that you can't pray this as a group. Rather, what he's saying is that your prayers should be Godward-directed, focused on him, directed towards him. Praise God that we don't have to invent how to pray. We have the perfect model that Jesus has given us. The Lord's Prayer teaches us to revere God as we pray, to have his concerns in mind, but also it shows us that we can bring our everyday concerns to him. God welcomes it. Okay, but let's say we've already learned the Lord's Prayer. James, let's say I've known it. I've been praying the Lord's Prayer since I was a fetus, right? Like, can't I just take the lessons and, and translate them and Why do I need to keep praying these words directly? Well, that brings us to reason two. Reason two why we pray the Lord's Prayer. It expresses our greatest needs. In verses seven and eight, we see Jesus condemn another kind of prayer. Namely, in verse seven, Jesus rebukes prayers with many words that seek to activate God. Do you notice what he's saying here? The thought that many words will make your prayer more effective. That many words will make God respond and act. Jesus is saying it is wrong to think that your many words will summon, will activate, will unlock the power of God. You know, different traditions and rituals in the world try to invoke deities and spirits and forces in different ways, be it chanting, singing, whatever it may be, The God of the Bible, the God of reality is not like that. Like a vending machine that needs the correct input so you can get the right product rolling out the bottom. The one true living God is not invoked or activated by many words. Instead, verse 8, Jesus says that our Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask him. Notice the assumption here. The true God is ready and willing and able to act because he knows already what you need. You're not informing him of something new, but rather, this is the amazing relational bit, right? He invites us to ask him, invites us. Let me illustrate this. Imagine a parent who said, oh, you want dinner? Here's a riddle first. Or, hey, we've got some guests over right now, do that, do that dance that you do so that we can... Yeah, do that dance first, then we'll give you dinner. 
Now, I've only been a parent for a bit over a year, but I know that's bad parenting. Now, God's not like that. Rather, God is, if I can use this illustration this way, is like a parent who, who knows that you need dinner, has cooked the dinner, and is just waiting for you to say, hey, you know, mom, dad, I'm a bit hungry right now. Here you go, here's dinner. It's a world of difference, isn't it? It is relational, and it is better. Which brings us then to the Lord's Prayer, because you see, immediately after verse 8, where Jesus rebukes this kind of bad way of praying and says, no, God knows what you need, he brings us to the Lord's Prayer, because, I take it, the Lord's Prayer expresses these needs that God already knows that we have. Let's just take one of these requests as an example. Think about verse 12, okay? Let's focus on this request. Forgive us our debts. You know, amidst all the hubbub and anxieties of life, we might be tempted to think that our greatest need is a better job or a relationship or better health or a holiday or just to clean my room. And let's be clear here, these things may be good and right and true in and of themselves, but you know what your greatest need is? It's to be forgiven. Your greatest need is to be forgiven of your debts. Notice the simplicity in these words, right? The Lord's Prayer is filled with these simple, not simplistic, simple requests that articulate our greatest needs. Now, you might be confused by the last part of verse 12, right? What does it mean, as we have forgiven our debtors? Well, consider this, right? Objectively speaking, God forgiving us, us forgiving others. Which one is harder? In other words, which one is the greater debt objectively? It is God forgiving us, our debts. Although, at first, we might not think that. We might think, now, that's easy, isn't it? The problem is me doing this with others. But take a step back for a second and think about God, infinitely glorious, majestic, holy. When we sin against him, the debt we incur is massive, far greater than any debt, any wrong that anyone could ever do against you or me. Objectively speaking, the greater debt to forgive is the one that we incur against God. And so this prayer is saying, Father, wipe out our infinite debts just like we do with lesser wrongs in our everyday life. As impossible as that may be. Because this is my greatest need. You know, it's not just this request, it's all of them. God's name being honored, God's will being done. All of these are our greatest needs. You know, when I, was a, a, when I became a Christian in high school, I thought back on all those TVs and, uh, TV shows and movies, and I thought, oh, surely that must all be wrong now. But as I learned more about the Lord's Prayer, I started thinking, you know what? What could be more, more fitting if someone was going to die or thought they were about to die, than to pray the Lord's Prayer and to remember what matters most. I mean, when you think your life is going to end, when you think that all hope is lost, 
What could be more fitting than to just reorient yourself and to say, you know what? God is what matters most. My greatest needs are this and this and this. But it doesn't just have to be if you think you're going to die. I mean, every single day, you and I can pray the Lord's Prayer and reorient ourselves from when we're staring at that to-do list and wondering how on earth I'm going to get through this or facing deadlines and obligations and saying, nothing's going right. Praying the Lord's Prayer is a way for us to be able to reorient ourselves and remember what that there could be something quite disingenuous about us praying this prayer. I mean, going back to verse 12 for a second, look at, look at, look at and think about this request again. Forgive as we forgive others? Wait a second. What if I'm not a very forgiving person? Am I really saying, God, forgive me, kind of, just like I forgive others, kind of? Well, this brings us to the third dynamic of praying the Lord's Prayer. Reason three, it reminds us how to live as God's children. You see, the Lord's Prayer is a dangerous prayer because if you're going to thoughtfully, genuinely, sincerely pray it, you've got to ask yourself, do I really want to pray this? Do I really want God's kingdom to come? Or am I happy with my life the way it is right now? I'm happy with all the suffering out there, as long as it's just not affecting me. I don't want God's kingdom to come yet. Do I really want God's will to be done? I mean, I'm very happy living life my own way. Do I really want to be satisfied with daily bread? Truth is, I want a daily feast. Bread? I don't want just the bare minimum. I want abundance and forgiveness. Verse 12, do I really want God to forgive me like I forgive others? You know, the debt that we incur against God is infinite. And yet we know that Jesus Christ died on the cross bearing bearing the full price that you and I deserve bearing the punishment, the guilt, and the shame that you and I deserve, winning us true forgiveness forever. Such that our debts can be wiped clean. And when you realize the extent of that, it does change the way we live. You see, Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer has verses 14 and 15. You'll see it there on your sheet or in the Bible, right? And they might seem a bit random. Why is this here? I mean, this isn't in Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. What what are verse 14 and 15 doing here? Well, you see, what I think is going on is Matthew is trying to highlight something about verse 12, but Matthew's also trying to highlight something about the whole Lord's Prayer, the whole body of teaching that we get here. Let me walk you through it, right? Because verse 12, if it is true that on this side of the cross and resurrection, the infinite debt can be abundantly forgiven, this must surely change the way we live. 
You know, just one chapter earlier, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Those who have received peace with God, forgiveness as his children, will be transformed to offer peace and forgiveness to others. Not just peace receivers, but peacemakers as well. And that marks them out, identifies them as children of the Heavenly Father. And yet the truth is we live in a world that is filled with so much evil and, and conflict. And so we need help because we are tempted every day to not be peacemakers. You see, verse 12 leads us to verse 13. Deliver us from the evil one, or deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. Yes, temptation in general, but I think in particular, the temptation to live unchanged lives of bitterness, of anger, of violence, that don't reflect what it means to be a child of our Heavenly Father. And so we need God's help to resist malice, revenge, anger from the one who can grant it. Because, verse 14 and 15, the heart and conduct of the Christian, those who have been forgiven, those who Jesus returns, is to be a peacemaker, just like we have received peace. I think that's how the logic flows in Matthew's account from verses 12, 13, 14, and 15. We are to pray for freedom and deliverance from temptation and evil because the Lord's Prayer is not something that we're just meant to pray with unthinking minds. It should transform our lives. Now, I want to be clear here. I don't think verses 14 and 15 are saying, this is how you are forgiven. As if when you forgive, God goes, ah, you've done the right thing, therefore I'm going to forgive you now. But rather, it is a description of the kind of person who receives God's forgiveness. And it's meant to be a reminder for how it is that God's children are to live. You know, I'm aware that there are so many complexities to relationships, past, present, wrongs, the topic of forgiveness is, is, a, is huge. And there are lots of things that, that must be said. But here, I just want to make sure that we hear the thrust of, of this challenge. Are there some of us here who have forgotten how much we have been forgiven? The cloth of the Christian life is weaved with the fabric of peacemaking. There may be circumstances and relationships that you just, you can't possibly see how forgiveness is going to color that relationship. But is the posture of your heart that of a peacemaker that longs and yearns to be kept from evil? This is dangerous, isn't it? This is hard. 
This week, when I was preparing for this sermon, I came across this quote by the American theologian Stanley Hauerwas. And writing on the Lord's Prayer, he wrote, To be taught to pray is to be taught to beg. To be taught to beg requires that we recognize our status as, as debtors. What he's getting at is that when we recognize how lacking we are in and of ourselves, that's when we're driven to pray. This is true of all prayer, but, but true of the Lord's Prayer in particular. You will not want to pray the Lord's Prayer unless you really recognize that this is what you need. This is how we are to live, and we cannot do it ourselves. Pleading and begging our Father to grant us what we need and to give us what only he can give. This is what drives us to prayer. And as we pray the Lord's Prayer, I hope you can see what I was saying before. This is, this is dangerous. Do I really want to pray this? Because if so, every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, it will serve as a reminder of what it means to live this amazing status as God's child. It does mean to honor his name. It does mean to long for his kingdom. It does mean to want to do his will. It does mean to be satisfied and to trust in his provision. Privately and publicly, it is good for us to pray the Lord's Prayer. It is not a static activity, but one that, that invites us to use our words and our thoughts and our hands and our feet to live as a child of God. Well, let me sum up. We've seen how Jesus has taught us to pray. We've seen how this prayer expresses our greatest needs. We've seen how this prayer reminds us of what it, what it means to live as God's child. What a gracious gift it is that Jesus has given it to us. May God enable us to pray it and may God shape us by this prayer to long for what he longs for. Please join with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this great gift. And we pray that we would not be thoughtless reciters of this prayer, but thoughtful, faith-filled, peacemaking children that look to you our Father who loves us and already knows what we need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.